if I'm like starting a new project, why should I start it with Svelte versus React today? The short answer is you'll ship faster. That's what we believe. There's caveats to that, obviously. If you're someone who is already experienced with React, then it's going to take you a beat to learn how to use Svelte. But overall, the argument for Svelte is that because of the design decisions that we've taken, like the foundational design decisions, that we have this compiler-centric mentality where we're essentially designing a component language as opposed to trying to express user interface semantics in a language which is fundamentally ill-suited to them, namely JavaScript. Because of that, you can express concepts much more concisely and idiomatically in a Svelte component than you can using React. Big thanks to our partners Linode Fastly and LaunchDarkly. We love Linode. They keep it fast and simple. Get $100 in credit at linode.com slash changelog. Our bandwidth is provided by Fastly. Learn more at fastly.com and get your feature flags powered by LaunchDarkly. Get a demo at launchdarkly.com. What's up, party people? This episode is brought to you by Auth0. Auth0 is a for developers by developers identity platform built for the cloud era. They secure billions of logins every year. Identity is the front door of every user interaction and the login experience can make or break a user's first impression. Identity and authentication is never a set it and forget it thing. That means when teams decide to roll their own, they are taking on the full burden of constantly evolving industry standards, customer expectations, and data breach tactics, and they often don't have the time, expertise, or resources to meet those needs. This takes away from critical time needed to innovate and to improve their core product. Auth0 has solved this problem for every developer to give teams their time back and to make applications more secure. With Auth0 security, compliance, and industry standards, they're always up to date. Developers are free to provide the login options their users want with the security their application demands. Make login Auth0's problem, not yours. Learn more at Auth0.com. Again, Auth0.com. This is JS Party, your weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. 2021 is almost in the books, and if you are doing a year-end roundup, we would love a mention in your list of favorite podcasts. Holler at us when you publish, and we'll help spread it around to the whole community. We've got a great episode for you today. It's party time, y'all. JS Party listeners, welcome to a very, very special show today. I know I say this every week and I know I say that every week, but like really like I'm very excited about this show. We have a really special guest, but before we get to the guest, we're going to introduce my co-panelist, co-pilot for today, Amelia Wattenberger. Hello. Welcome, Amelia. Hey, hey, hey. Amelia, is your name German? Just curious, because every time I say Wattenberger, I like have this urge to like go full German. I'm like, <laughs> All is good, yeah. Wattenberger. Yeah, Wattenberger. So is, is it German? I actually looked this up a few days ago. My dad is really into genealogy and he has our tree traced back to like the 1200s. Wow. But it comes from a German province called Württemberg, I think. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, my parents are small and I can trace my lineage back like... 27 ancestors or something like that as well. So it's crazy. But anyways, lineage aside, we're going to talk about someone who's really important to, I think, web lineage, web history, <laughs> web history. Rich Harris. Welcome, Rich. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. Hi. Yeah. Um, I don't even know how to introduce you anymore because I, I like, you know, would say like you're like that JavaScript engineer that like makes everything better, that happens to spend like <laughs> who also kind of identifies as a journalist. Right. Um, you're an open sourcer, you're a teacher, you're an educator, creator, and now kind of working on open source full time. So can you yeah, just tell us a little, little bit about yourself for folks who might not be familiar and welcome. Yeah. So I'm, I'm Rich. I, I work at Vassell as of three weeks ago. I joined the company so that I work on Svelte full-time. Svelte is a project that I've been developing um, for the last five years now. It has its fifth birthday this month. In, actually, no, last month. It's now December. Man, time moves fast. And prior to Vassell, I spent my entire career in newsrooms. I trained as a journalist, and then I worked in the, in the interactive graphics departments of The Guardian and then The New York Times. I've done a little few bits of open source here and there along the way. Some people know me as the guy who did roll up 
the module bundler. Yeah. They curse my name every time they have to configure a, a rollout project. You know, it's okay because Rich, you're only as good as the people who came before you. And I will say that rollup is certainly push the needle. So, you know. <laughs> so I think it's really incredible, Rich. I feel like you've kind of gained this reputation, at least for me, as being someone who kind of takes things that are best in class, like let's say bundlers like Webpack that are kind of were considered like maybe best in class and perhaps still are, and um, depending on your use case, but um, taking tools like that and then just creating something that is just, seems to really, I think, serve a different set of constraints very well. Specifically, I think constraints that are good for the open web, right? So um, how do we use standards, open standards better? How do we ship less JavaScript? How do we create more performant web experiences? And Svelte is kind of, I feel like, in that same vein, I think like it's good for the open web. Um, so can you maybe talk to us a little bit about some of the kind of inspirations and like origin story behind Svelte? You were on Changelog like three years ago, I think, uh, January 30th. We'll link to the episode. It's a great episode. But I'm just curious if you could summarize the origin story for us. I can certainly try. Svelte is sort of the culmination of stuff that I've been thinking about since 10 years ago, roughly when I first started writing JavaScript. And I was trying to do interactive articles of the kinds that you would see on places like the New York Times. And I was like a, a very newbie programmer and what I found was that it, it's hard. Like there weren't very good tools for doing what we now think of as state-driven, component-driven user interfaces. And so I started kind of daydreaming about what tools would make my life easier. And then I stopped daydreaming and I started building them. And, and so for several years, I maintained a project called Reactive, which was me just sort of trying to scratch my own itch. And then after I gained a bit more experience as a programmer and, and I started to become aware of different ways of solving some of these problems. The idea that turned into Svelte took root in, in 2016. And so Svelte is it's a continuation of that idea, is like how do we make creating interactive content on the web as easy as possible, but combined with some slightly more sophisticated thinking than its predecessor project had around how you do that in a way that is going to deliver like a very small JavaScript bundle with a very performant user experience. That's how it started. I mean, it's since evolved into a much more sort of comprehensive set of ideas about web development. We kind of had a, a realization a couple of years ago that we weren't really designing a framework. We're actually designing a language. It's a language for expressing user interfaces. But all of the ancillary stuff that goes around that is, you know, SvelteKit is this meta framework that is our take on how you should build web apps like from soup to nuts as opposed to just the component framework part. And all of the libraries that go around it is like, this is how we think about the problem of web development, like writ large. I feel like there's so many good tools that come out of newsrooms, especially ones that do really fancy graphics like the New York Times. Is there some secret sauce or like what are the conditions that lead to all of these awesome tools? I think the conditions are, are very important. So for to give some examples of the sort of thing that you're talking about, the New York Times graphics department I was a member of it for a while. Before that, Jeremy Ashkenis was in the graphics department and had other jobs at the Times. And he created Backbone, he created Underscore, he created CoffeeScript, like things that have had seismic impacts on, on the JavaScript ecosystem. And specifically within Dataviz, Mike Bostock created D3 very largely while he was working at the New York Times graphics department. And there have been other examples as well. Gregor Eich has done a lot of really cool open source and he was a member of the department. And my thesis is that the reason that that happens is because when you're building stuff in a newsroom, the constraints are just a little bit tighter than in more mainstream engineering for a variety of reasons. Number one, the obvious one is like you're working on the news cycle. You are operating at the speed of news. And like you do not have time to futz around with a Babel config or, or something like that, right? You just got to ship. And because of that, there is this very strong bias towards tools that like as self-explanatory as possible. Like low, low barrier. Right, right, yes. And that's, that's the other side of it because like a lot of the people who are using these tools in a newsroom, they're not like JavaScript rockstar ninjas. They're people who learn JavaScript in order to do their jobs better. And so the consequence of that is that tools that have an unnecessarily steep learning curve or a lot of incidental complexity, they don't tend to succeed. And so there's a lot of homegrown stuff that gets its test in that fairly high-pressure environment and it turns out that if you can solve the problems of developing, you know, small but fast and rich applications in 
in like in a short space of time, then you've kind of solved a lot of the problems that web developers face more broadly. And so because of that, D3 has certainly succeeded outside the newsroom. Underscore and Backbone took over, like it, it seems strange to say this now, but like back in the day, Underscore and Backbone just completely changed the face of web development. As did CoffeeScript, it, it gave way to, to ES6. And Svelte has seen a lot of pickup outside newsrooms. It's being used in all sorts of different contexts, far from what it was originally built for. And I think that's because, as I say, you solve the newsroom case and you've basically solved web development more broadly. Yeah, I mean, it's it, like the news is like, it's open web first, right? I think that's what drives a lot of healthy innovation. But also I feel like both e-commerce and news sites seem to really exercise like many, many APIs and a lot of richness of the web, right? So folks are thinking about SEO, they're thinking about images, they're thinking about content management, they're thinking about styling, they're thinking about performance, they're thinking about embedded third-party content, you know, like there's so much there and all of that being delivered to you kind of like hot off the presses, right? So it, it really is like fascinating to hear like how much creativity has kind of birthed out of that space and to kind of maybe shift that a little bit. Like, so you're now kind of, I guess you're no, you know, you've moved on from the New York Times and you're working kind of full time and you've got, a, a, I would say more of a pure focus on your open source projects, which is like really exciting. And for me, like Vercel is, you know, like when like a really attractive person walks into a room, right? And I feel like Svelte is like another really attractive person walking into the same room and like those two attractive people like found each other. Like that's, <laughs> I feel like they're asking each other out. That's how I feel. Like I feel like Vercel and Svelte, like it's a marriage that like makes sense because I think at the core, like Vercel is really pushing performant web experiences, more turnkey developer experiences. And I feel like Svelte is kind of tackling those same things just from a different angle. And so can you tell us a little bit about like, give us the Vercel story and like, what can we expect with their support uh, towards your projects? Well, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there talking about like Vercel being a place that is trying to make the web more performant and also more turnkey. I think the reason that it makes sense for me to have a home at Vercel. Don't you mean like for you to have like Vercel's number? Like, cause you know, you're like an attractive person that's like maybe trying to get to know this other, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you want to talk about attractive people, like, this all happened a couple of months after Gishomo slid into my DMs. So, <laughs> Well, 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 <laughs> the plot thickens, you know? <laughs> right. You know, Vercel and Spell are both very concerned with how you sort of democratize web development, but in a way that doesn't compromise user experience. Obviously, Vercel is attacking that problem in a far more like expansive sense. Mm. You know, Svelte is purely focused on authoring front ends, but there's this kind of philosophical alignment. So it, it just makes sense that like Vercel would want to invest in a framework like Svelte. You know, they have customers who are using Svelte and there's always been like interplay between Svelte Kit and Next, for example. So like the, the hope from the Vercel side, as I understand it at least, is that by investing in Svelte becoming a better framework, it's better for Vercel's customers, it's better for the web at large, because it means that like one of the, I guess we can call Svelte one of the major frameworks at this point, has like proper backing. And from my side, it makes total sense because the biggest blocker to, to Svelte's development for me over the last couple of years has been my lack of ability to devote time to it. And that's now solved. And so I'm feeling really optimistic about what we're going to be able to get done over the next year. And I think it's already starting to pay dividends. Like we're actually making some solid progress on Svelte Kit towards 1.0, which we had been making progress, but it's just really hard when you don't have someone working on this stuff full time. What on the roadmap are you most excited about other than Svelte Kit 1.0? There's a long list of things. I hesitate to use the word roadmap because that implies that we've actually figured out what the priorities are and decided to devote resource to them. At the moment, it's really more of a wish list. And some of the things that we talk about are, so that for context, one part of Svelte, that the main part of Svelte, I guess, is the compiler, right? Which turns your, your declarative component code into the equivalent imperative JavaScript, essentially. And it works really well, like you get these tiny, tiny bundles in most cases. But if you have a huge number of components and you're not using code splitting for whatever reason, then like the generated JavaScript will grow faster than like your component source code size. And in some cases you can hit the inflection point where your Svelte bundle 
is larger than your React bundle would have been, for example. It doesn't happen often, but it can. We think we have a solution to that, which incidentally might also give us the ability to implement things like error boundaries mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, Like at build time? Like error boundaries at runtime? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So like that's an idea that's percolating at the moment. Also, Vassell is super keen on Rust right now. And so I've started thinking, should, should I learn Rust? Should we rewrite the Svelte compiler in Rust? Maybe it's a terrible idea. I don't know. But I think it's at the very least worth investigating. What else? Got lots of big ideas around what motion and transitions could look like in, in a framework if they were a little bit more unified. This is something that Svelte's always been pretty good at. Like we have declarative transitions for when elements enter the stage and leave the stage, but I think we can probably push that further and like do some really funky stuff with interpolating between different page layouts and stuff like that. I have to say the transitions are just like my favorite part about Svelte. Like I'll go back and forth between React and Svelte projects and like being able to just say animate in and then it does and not have to pull in a library or write more code. Yeah. So good. And like the React team have have occasionally talked about making that stuff easier in React, like adding APIs that will will allow you to defer the unmounting of elements, for example. But it's super hot and it's something that you've got to actively prioritize because there's one thing that we've learned from the process of building those transitions is that it's got to be like a first class consideration as you're building the framework is is kind of deeply tied in there. And so I, I don't know, we'll see. But as I say, I think we can take that idea and, and supercharge it. There's a whole list of things, none of which I'm ready to commit to, but all of which we're going to be looking at in 2022. Yeah. It seems like basically folks at Vercel have, it's like they're giving you an official like sponsorship in the sense that like, hey, we see the value of this. We care about performance. And I feel like they're kind of really putting their money where their mouth is in many ways. And it's really nice. It's just, it's a great thing to see. Um, so I... Again, congratulations on on that opportunity, and you know I'm really, we're all hopefully going to benefit from their sponsorship. And that's like the beauty of open source is you know the the stadium <laughs> the stadium effect of our code. So, so I'm just curious, like you know we talked about like Svelte Kit a little bit. Um, I feel like there's maybe just something that we're skirting around a little, which is this very intentional decision to be more full featured, right? So if you look at libraries like React, like they're very clear about like, we are, this is a UI library. We don't even consider ourselves a framework, right? And then like you have tools like Angular and Ember that are much more opinionated about like how you should be using them. And they come with all the bells and whistles, right? Angular, I think personally, great for enterprise teams in many ways. Like it's easier to control large groups of people like when there's type those types of conventions built in. And I feel like Svelte is somewhere in between, you know, it's not as rigid as Angular, but it's definitely, there's less potential pitfalls than, you know, maybe using a tool like React that like lets you bend all the ways if you really want to. And so can you maybe just talk a little bit about that decision? Like what were some of those constraints around, like, how'd you find that happy balance, right? Where you want to let people, I love the scratch team at MIT. They have this wonderful analogy called, not called, it's um, high ceilings, wide walls, low floors, right? So low floors, meaning like, it's easy for new people to come in and use it. Wide walls as in like, you can do lots of different things with it. And high ceilings as in like, it doesn't stop expert users, like people who want to like go crazy and go ham and like make the complicated thing, they can do it, right? So it's very difficult to design an interface and design an API that like meets all of those criteria. It's like good for newbies, good guardrails and lets experts run. Like, so could you talk about some of those constraints and decisions? Yeah, I mean, I I think the the guiding light for us is, is this something that enough people are going to need that it makes sense to have it in the framework? And for example, every app that has ever been built on the web, with a very few contrived exceptions, needs CSS. So if your framework doesn't include like a blessed way to include styles in your project, then it is leaving a huge chunk of work to the user of that tool. This is something that I'm a little surprised that more frameworks haven't kind of adopted. Vue is a framework, obviously, that has opinions about how to get your CSS into an app, but React and all of the React-alike frameworks out there just kind of leave it to developers, which, like, to me, that just feels like an abdication of responsibility. And there is a good argument why you would do that. And the argument, I think, that React would make is that 
by being deliberately bare-boned about this stuff and letting the community come up with its own conventions. You get more people working on the problem and the best ideas will float to the surface and like you can sort of gradually adopt them. But in the meantime, like you're, you're causing a lot of confusion and a lot of work for your users. And particularly you know, in the environment in which Svelte was created where we don't have time to mess around with, with stuff like that. It makes total sense that styling would be a first-class concern of the framework. And the same goes for things like you know, the transitions that we talked about. Any kind of motion, like if you want to get spring physics in your user interface, then you can do that in Svelte with an import that comes from inside the Svelte package. And that's there because like, we want to encourage people to think of that as part of like, what you get when you, when you use a framework, as opposed to a problem that, that we're giving you to solve. But where historically we, we drew the line was Svelte was very much a component framework in the manner of React or, or Vue. Angular and Ember were these sort of app frameworks. Because of the very different ways that you can use a component framework, and you know, in particular at the New York Times, like we had these very esoteric requirements that Svelte needs to integrate with our workflow, which is primarily driven by Google Docs. And so like, you just couldn't have this opinionated application framework that is going to be able to serve all of these very different use cases. And so it's always been very important that Svelte is this compiler that you can use at, like however you like. You can build your own server-side rendering solution. You can build your own build tool plugins, all of that stuff. It's completely freeform. But that obviously leaves a gap, which is someone coming to Svelte for the first time is like, well, how the hell do I build an app with this? And our answer for that historically has been a little bit lackluster. Whereas if you go to Angular or you go to Ember, then it just tells you from the beginning, this is how you build an app. The problem, of course, is that like you can't use Angular components inside a non-Angular app, and you can't use Ember components inside a non-Ember app. I mean, maybe you can. Maybe there's like somewhere in the bowels of the documentation where you can figure out how to do that, but you are very much discouraged from doing so. And I think that has real downsides. And so SvelteKit is supposed to be the thing that like it solves that problem of like, okay, so now what, how the hell do I begin writing an app without getting rid of any of the flexibility that those expert users need. So SvelteKit is the low floor. Svelte is, I guess, the high ceiling. I can't remember which was the high ceiling and which were the wide walls. But... Yeah, yeah. Wide walls is like do lots of things with it. And high ceiling mm. is like unlimited complexity, like go crazy, go build like, you know, you can go vertically complex, right? Like... Does that make sense? It does, yeah. And this attribution is to like the MIT Scratch team. I'll we'll put a link in the show notes to an article where they talked about that. But Scratch is a programming language for kids, ironically written in JavaScript now. And I worked at a company, little company that you might know called Boku. We helped actually the MIT Scratch team do a full rewrite from Flash. This is a Flash-based application and we convert it into JavaScript and help them convert it into JavaScript. And it's actually using React. It's one of the most complicated React applications, I think, on the open web. And it's beautiful and performant. And thanks to the lovely engineers at Boku who put a lot of thought into, I think, how to make it fast, but definitely worth checking out. So Rich, we're going to take a break because there's so much good stuff to get into. I want to talk about comparisons. There's yep. community. There's so much. So yep. uh, we'll be right back after these short messages, kids. What's up, JS Party people? Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? Well, with Raygun Air and Performance Monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to quickly find and fix errors and performance issues across your tech stack down to the line of code. This saves you time, this saves you money, and this saves your sanity. Head to raygun.com to join thousands of customer-centric software teams who use Raygun every single day. Again, raygun.com to give them a try with a free 14-day trial. Thank you for that wonderful background and context around Svelte and Svelte Kit. It was really great to, I think, 
learn about some of the decisions behind your like what came to be this interface and uh, you know these constraints. It's, it's great. So you said something earlier around Svelte is maybe considered one of the major frameworks, and I kind of want to challenge you on that a little bit. So. I want to say really spelt, uh, no, not really spelt, <laughs> really rich. <laughs> You're just going to call you spelt from now on. So really rich, like is spelt really considered a major framework? Because I, I mean, it doesn't always take a while, but it does take a while for JavaScript UI frameworks to kind of hit a tipping point where they're considered like production ready, stable, well-supported, et cetera. And so great, this project is now funded by Vercel. That's awesome. But who else is using it? And how, I mean, it's been around for five years, but it's, it seems like it's, taken five years to maybe hit the quote unquote mainstream. So I'm just curious if you could maybe share some of the adoption metrics with us. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if I would even now call it mainstream mm-hmm. per se, but I think we have like a pretty sizable mindshare at this point, even though it's not being used nearly as widely as React and Vue. It's something that a lot of developers have heard of. A lot of developers are excited to try it. And I think what is probably keeping the NPM download numbers from being higher than they are is that for a long time, companies were very reluctant to to try and use something that wasn't supported by a full-time maintainer. Mm-hmm. That's feedback that I've heard a lot. Like people will tell me that me and my coworkers, we want to use Svelte to build this project, but our, our, our project manager or our CTO says, no, you, you can't do that because it's someone's like weekend project. And that hasn't really been true for a long time. Like we have a pretty active core team. Do they all work nights and weekends? Okay, no, they're not active. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm the only full-time maintainer still, but there's like a lot of people who, who work on the project on like a, a fairly regular basis. Okay, that's awesome. But now that it's got the backing of Vassell, I'm, I'm starting to hear people turn around and say, well, actually we can reconsider that decision. The NPM numbers, to be specific, we get 200,000 downloads a week, which is not a huge number, but it's doubled since... The beginning of this year mm-hmm. and uh, I, I calculated the other day that if it continues doubling every year then by 2037 everyone on the planet will be downloading Svelte <laughs> once a week so <laughs> we're not that far from global domination when I say that we're one of the major frameworks what I really mean is that other frameworks in a few cases been influenced by Svelte's design decisions when People announce new things like new cloud things. They will very often say, okay, here is how you build a Svelte app on it. But it's like one of the first things that they have in their introductory documentation. Like Cloudflare pages just came out and they used Svelte as their example of how to build a Cloudflare pages site. And I think once you sort of breach that level of awareness, I think it's probably fair to count yourself as one of the major frameworks, even if you are by far the smallest. Mm. And, you know, I, I'm pretty confident that, that we're going to keep growing. Like, we have pretty high satisfaction numbers. We, we got the, the most satisfied result in the most recent state of JavaScript survey, and we were the most loved framework in the Stack Overflow developer survey this year. So it stands to reason that, that we're going to keep gaining adoption. But at the same time, adoption is not why we do this. Adoption is, a, is not the metric to try and optimize. It's just a something that tells you whether or not you are in fact optimizing the right things. If you look at JavaScript frameworks, there's like a hype cycle. If you chart like (laughs) how much people like it and how much people use it. Okay, how much you like it is on the x-axis and how much you use it is on the y-axis. Usually they'll go like to the right and then up. So like when people really like it, there's definitely an increase in usage coming. And then like you'll see the opposite on the way down, like eventually too many developers will have to use it for work and then they'll hate it and then they'll stop using it. <laughs> yeah, that is 100% going to happen. I mean, I think it's, it's probably already starting to happen with, with Svelte. When we got those most satisfied and most loved recognitions, that was you know driven by the fact that the people who are currently using Svelte are people who've chosen to use Svelte. And so they're, they're already sort of sold on the idea of a template-driven yeah. framework and all of the other decisions that Svelte makes, which are different to other frameworks. And there's definitely going to be a point at which that's no longer the case. So I'm not expecting that we're going to like necessarily win the same recognition next year. But as long as the people who want to use Svelte continue wanting to use Svelte, and as long mm. as the people who are forced to use Svelte can tolerate using Svelte, then mm. I think we're doing okay. Yeah, I mean, so for me, like this just brings back one of the reasons why I was excited about Svelte, like I'm reminded now, it's because like, I was like, wow, this is a project that's not sponsored by Facebook, Microsoft, Google, whatever, like billion dollar, gajillion dollar company. Like, I feel like 
if you look at the landscape of the JavaScript open source, like community right now, and you look at like, what are the projects to get the most quick adoption, wide adoption, whatever, companies are using metrics like, hey, are there people who are paid to work on this? They're using things like that. Like you look at projects like Rush, and you look at projects like Lerna, and you look at like how quickly it was like, you know, how hard Lerna worked to get to their numbers. And then, you know, Lerna is like a monorepo management like tool and and so same for Rush, but Rush came out of Microsoft. We'll put a link in our show notes. But like I feel like Rush came out and people were like, oh great, like a company backed like Learner alternative, you know? And totally fine. Nothing wrong with company backed software. All good, right? Vercel is doing the same thing in many ways. But the idea is I feel like the spirit of open source and community and open governance is also kind of lost in projects like that. And I feel like it's with Vercel, like your relationship is a little different. Like, you know, you still, you're, it's still your project. They're sponsoring you to work on it. But like, I still feel like the governance and all of those things are still very grassroots, you know, and open to influence by people who use the library. And that's very different than React. And, you know, we had a wonderful conversation with Sophie a couple of weeks ago, who was um, a lead on the React team. Sophie Alpert with a P and she was like talking about the challenges around open governance and react. And yeah, it is absolutely the, the core team show. It's like, it can cause friction in the community sometimes, especially when you have a lot of smart people with opinions that are quite often like not all bad, you know what I mean? So Yeah. I mean, it's difficult. A project like react is used for such a wide variety of projects. And I mean, I guess it's true of all front end frameworks that you are going to get a lot of different decisions. And mm. we've always prided ourselves on being to the extent possible without things devolving into absolute chaos, this consensus and community-driven project. And the core team is very diverse. We have people from all sorts of different backgrounds. Probably all over the world, right? It's, it's probably folks that aren't geographically co-located either, which is... It's a very international project. Yeah, wonderful for the web. I mean, like, for me, like, my life mission is to, like, increase the number of people, like, change the percentage of folks who are writing for the web so that they are more reflective of the people using the web. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. let's have those demographics mirror each other so that like we create inclusive and delightful tools and applications. So, so I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah. And, and it manifests itself in real ways. Like when we're discussing features in, inside Svelte or SvelteKit, we'll often have a lot of back and forth between people who, who just had these very different experiences and can speak to some of those decisions in different ways. And that makes the project much stronger than if the team was a lot more homogenous and people had had the same kinds of experiences. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's like a hot topic in itself, but, you know, we'll have to save that for another show. But thank you for that. I'm, I'm really, really makes me happy to hear that. And just, you know, congrats to, to you and the team. I hope you're able to continue fostering that level of contribution that's varied and diverse. It's important for the web. And so I'm curious like to kind of segue a little bit into kind of maybe some of the specifics around like why Svelte. I'd like to kind of maybe prefix this conversation with like, hey, like everybody who's listening to this, like APIs get deprecated, people don't, right? And so when we're talking about like this tool versus that tool, like we're talking about it from an objective perspective and there's not, it's not personal. There's, this is not about beef or flame wars or anything. Like we're just engineers having an objective conversation. And so I just want to prefix the rest of the segment with that kind of warning or context. So with that said, Rich, can you tell us, like if we're just going to pick React, let's just pick on React because it's like the, you know, it's the one to beat, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're kind of doing apples to apples, like, why Svelte over React? Like, can you maybe give me some of the specifics around like, if I'm like starting a new project, like why should I start it with Svelte versus React like today? The short answer is you'll ship faster. That's what we believe. Mm -hmm. And there's caveats to that, obviously. If you're someone who is already experienced with React, then it's going to take you a beat to learn how to use Svelte. But overall, the, the argument for Svelte is that because of the design decisions that we've taken, like the foundational design decisions that we have this compiler-centric mentality where we're essentially designing a component language as opposed to trying to express user interface semantics in a language which is fundamentally ill-suited to them, namely JavaScript. Because of that, you can express concepts much more concisely and idiomatically in a Svelte component than you can using React. And a lot of people will just disagree with me vehemently on that, but 
My observation has been that, for example, if you convert a React component to a Svelte component, it will be about 40% smaller in terms of the bytes of code that you have to write. And that has real consequences. Mm -hmm. Obviously, how fast you can write the component because you're, you're physically writing less stuff, but it's also more readable. Less code is more readable than more code. and Also maintainable. It is more maintainable. Easier to change too, right? Easier to change. I've heard you often say something that I personally take with me as like my new mantra, which is like, optimize for change, you know? And yeah, less code is easier to change, like hands down. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there's there's been some research, not a huge amount, but there's been some research into how many bugs you will you will write for a given amount of code. And it turns out that the relationship between the amount of code that you write and the number of bugs in your app is, <laughs> is basically the same across all different languages, but the relationship is super linear with the amount of code that you have. Mm. So if you have a 10,000 line app, then you will have more than 10 times the number of bugs you will have in a 1,000 line app. So if you can write code as concisely as possible without it becoming like this Perl-like, mm -hmm. you know, gibberish, mm -hmm. then, you know, generally you'll find that your application is going to be more robust. Mm -hmm. So that is like the big argument. And that's changed a little bit because we used to think about Svelte in very different terms. When it first came out, the big selling point was you can make tiny JavaScript bundles. Because at the time, we were coming out of this era when desktop frameworks had predominated, but mobile was becoming the more important place to write stuff on the web. Mm -hmm. We were shipping too much JavaScript to our users. We're still shipping too much JavaScript to our users, but that was like the most urgent problem. And so that's what Svelte initially was aimed at solving was just making bundles smaller. And because it's compiling to this sort of vanilla JavaScript without this, you know, the heavy virtual DOM machinery, it also means that your updates are faster. So that's what people first associated with Svelte is the, the small and fast, and that is why it's called Svelte. But nowadays we think about it more in terms of how it affects how you think about the code that you're writing. So, okay, let's see if you can solve this for me. So all my coworkers know that I would start new projects with Svelte if I could, and we're really focused on prototyping really quickly. So that would be awesome. But the issue is, if we use React, there's like 1 million libraries that we can use for accessible components that are really easy to throw in, which, you know, Svelte can't do anything about, right? Because it takes a long time in a large community to build up that wealth of components. But that's like my biggest hang up with, we do need to go fast and sometimes pulling in other modules is super helpful. Yeah, component libraries, is, I mean, there's a lot of Svelte component libraries. I don't personally tend to use them because I don't, I don't typically need to because of the sorts of apps that I'm building. But there are component libraries out there. I, I can't like vouch for any one in particular, but they do exist. What I'm hoping is that the release of SvelteKit is going to make it much easier for people to build really high quality component libraries. And that's because SvelteKit, in addition to being a uh, framework for building applications, it's a framework for building component libraries. I've used it for a couple of libraries so far, and it's just a much, much nicer workflow for building libraries than anything I've used in the past. And so hopefully, touch wood, the release of SvelteKit is going to mean that there's a bit of an explosion of component libraries. And mm. we'll check back in, in a few months to see if that's happened. But I think that is the kind of problem that solves itself over time. And so if you're looking to build something immediately and you want to have a ready-made set of component libraries, then React is probably the way to go. But that's not like a foundational technology choice. That is something that happens to be the case right now and will probably stop being the case at some point in the future. So, you know, it depends on your timescale. It depends on your appetite for, for building some of the stuff yourself. And it depends on how you're evaluating technologies. So this problem of ecosystem that Amelia brings up is very real, right? Like it's, absolutely a reason why people hold off on adoption like you know they need that table library they need that material ui library they need like whatever they need all those bells and whistles in order to kind of continue at least working at the same pace that they would with another ecosystem right so you don't want to compromise on that but but i'm just curious like as a community like at what point are we going to start really leveraging web primitives like HTML, CSS, and JavaScript to create this accordion widget one time for all the libraries to, to use, right? Because at the end of the day, like React, Angular, Ember, Backbone, what you know, all of these th libraries are still just outputting to web primitives, right? And so 
isn't there a way for us to just kind of salt like write this once and like let people import it into the languages and framework or like the frameworks of their choice, right? So if you want to interact with this thing in this way, great. Like, but ultimately like, I kind of think it's ridiculous for us to start over and create a whole new ecosystem and solve solved problems yet again, just using a different interface. Like, I mean, isn't that kind of bizarre to you that we're like going to start this over? It's almost like you're trying to goad me into sharing spicy takes on web components. <laughs> I wanted you to talk about web. I wanted to talk about web components, but then I was like, let me let me not get eye rolls <laughs> because people are just gonna eye roll. But I'm like, shouldn't this just be a custom element? Shouldn't this just be like, you know, I'm just kind of like, re like really, I'm just I'm curious, like, because I mean, we, you know, it is a web primitive, or it is support. It is a web API. Mm -hmm. These are web APIs supported natively on the platform by majority of browsers fairly well-ish. So I'm just curious, like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think people tend to overstate that problem, hmm. the problem of having to rewrite things for different frameworks, mm -hmm. because there aren't that many frameworks. Mm -hmm. And having to rewrite something in three frameworks is a tractable problem. Having to rewrite it in a thousand frameworks would not be. Hmm. But that's not the situation that we find ourselves in. So like, I, I would firstly just push back on the notion that oh, we've got to rewrite this for every single framework is like a fundamental problem. Mm -hmm. It is a nuisance. It would be better if we didn't have to do that. But the <laughs> web has these very unique constraints. And unfortunately, my opinion, having dabbled in this space for, for long enough, is that web components do not solve it. Mm. Certainly the API failed to meet, I think, DX and like, right, there's certain usability aspects to web components that just don't jive with developers, right? There's certainly like a disconnect with like where developers are and how people write modern web apps and what you need to do to get web components to like work at mass and scale, right? Like it's not, yeah. there's definitely a chasm, but I just feel like, I don't know, you know, maybe you're right. Like maybe it is not that big of a problem. I just feel like we need to like have a hackathon where like one week is like Svelte ecosystem week and everyone just like picks the component that they need to rewrite from this thing to that thing. And then boom, here it is in Svelte. Because I just, I find it a little ridiculous that we're just wasting any amount of brain power on solved problems, right? Like solved problems yeah. in a different color. Like I feel like web developers are the smartest people on earth. And I just feel like that's not a good use of brain time. Like making a new button type is like, not a good use of brain time for me anyway, you know, and that's like my, my salty opinion, but you know. I mean, you, you're not wrong, but ultimately if, if these things are important enough that we're rewriting them in multiple frameworks, then they're probably things that belong in the platform in the first place. Agreed. And my hope with web components back in the day was that, that they were going to allow us to create the cow paths that would later get paved. And we haven't been paving those cow paths for a variety of reasons. And so like we're, we're kind of left with this way of describing components that doesn't even work without JavaScript, which is just fatal for progressive enhancement and, and all of these other things. And, and so I, I've just got so tired of thinking about web components and how hard they make it for me to build the apps that I want to make. I've just stopped thinking about it. I'm just going to use Svelte and I'm going to target non-custom elements mm. and I'm going to have a, have a great time doing it. No. If other people want to try and solve the many problems of web components, then that's great. <laughs> different bag of problems, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a different bag of problems that increasingly like shrinking group of developers seem to be caring about as well. So, yeah. So I thank you so much for, uh, for weighing in on that and uh, humoring me. And uh, you did a really good job of like avoiding that pitfall. So good job. Points for you, Rich. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by our friends at Fastly. They're running an awesome promo on Compute at Edge. They're inviting our entire listener base to move latency-sensitive workloads to the edge with Compute at Edge free for three months, plus up to $100,000 a month in credit for an additional six months. This is a limited time offer, so head to Fastly.com slash podcast as soon as you can to check it out and get all the details. Here's the TLDR. Fastly's edge cloud network and modern approach to serverless computing allows you to deploy and run complex logic at the edge with unparalleled security and blazing fast computational speed. Scale instantly and globally, reduce origin load, get real-time observability, and get seamless integration with your existing tech stack. Head to fastly.com slash podcast to get compute at edge free for three months, plus up to $100,000 a month in credit for an additional six months 
Once again, fasted.com slash podcast. So, Rich, thank you for walking us through part one of Hot Topics in the open source community. It's like a never-ending story. Actually, Amelia, remember you were and I when we were like kind of preparing for this show earlier today? I think you said something really funny. Do you want to share it? But he's like the king of hot takes. Oh. <laughs> There's actually, they're filming a Svelte documentary, which I think we can talk about. Yeah, we can. They, they came to my house with all their film gear, which is very intimidating. And they, they like got all situated and they're like, can you describe Rich Harris? <laughs> and I was like, oh man, I don't know. And the first thing that came out was like, he's the king of hot takes, but they're also not hot takes because they're all very reasonable. <laughs> they were like, let's do that again. But those are my true feelings. <laughs> uh, I can definitely relate to the <laughs> like what it's like to have a camera shoved in your face and being asked questions. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I would say you're definitely really good at hot takes. Like you're also really great at like, like, I feel like when there's like gasoline all over the floor, you're really great at like showing up with a match on Twitter <laughs> and then dropping the match, you know, and it's like, boom, you know, there goes Twitter for today, you know, <laughs> like literally like three weeks later, I'm still getting like likes and like mentions on like threads where, you know, Rich inserts himself into like, Sharing a very reasonable opinion about JavaScript. For what it's worth, I agree with you like 99, <laughs> actually 100% of the 100% of the time, if I'm honest. But yeah, no, seriously, you're awesome. So kind of just to kind of continue our, our hot topics. So React, like I've been using the library forever. Really, it helped me, I think, even be better at JavaScript. You know, it helped kind of really democratize the component model that we were kind of skirting around for a very long time as a community, right? So I really, you know, I'm very thankful for, I think, the the way it's helped push certain things forward, right? However, I think there's certain things around performance and, you know, other things where I feel like maybe React has kind of stagnated, right? And for me, I think a product of its success in many ways, React is a project that really supports a wide variety of applications and platforms. It's support and like this reconciliation algorithm and this virtual DOM and the synthetic events and all of these things that are kind of like extraneous and not necessarily found in other projects, uh, you know, in the web. Like if you can look at Preact, Svelte, right? Like y'all don't need a virtual DOM. Y'all don't need synthetic events, right? Extremely performant, much smaller bundler size. But the, the constraint that React has is like we output to many DOM trees, well, not DOM trees, but like platformy trees, right? So uh, iOS and Android being the other two major platforms. And so it's got some bloat because of that. And so a kind of argument that I was having, a friendly argument that I was having with a, a friend of mine um, a few weeks ago was like, okay, is it safe to say at that point that maybe React is not the best choice if you're writing for just the web? We agreed and he was like, yes. If you're just writing for the web, React is not the best choice. Because I was just trying to say, like, I don't think React is like, if I was starting a project in 2021 or 2022 now, I almost, for the web, I wouldn't pick React. I wouldn't, just because it's bulky. I would try to pick something that's really going to force me to, like, use as little JavaScript as possible. And, you know, React is more than I need. It's more engine than I need if I'm just writing for the web. And so I'm just curious, like, do you feel like Svelte is like, like, how is Svelte tackling this problem? Because I feel like for me, like Svelte is very, feels very like web first, web only right now. Is there a mobile story? Have you tackled those constraints around multi-platform? Because, you know, if I'm working at a company and I'm trying to get my manager to adopt Svelte, my manager is going to say, well, is there a native library? Like, how does that work? You know, I don't want to have to hire like folks to write Swift and Kotlin or whatever, like, you know, so. Yeah, I have many thoughts about all of this. I'm going to preface it all with saying that I am not a mobile developer. Yeah. It's just Me neither. not a thing that, that I care about. I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a web guy. I would love it if native apps weren't a thing and the web <laughs> on mobile devices was, was capable enough that, that we could just get rid of all that. That said, it is true that React Native is probably the most tightly integrated way to build something on iOS and Android if you already have a React code base or you're familiar with web development. There are some things out there which will allow you to build native apps with Svelte. There is a project called Svelte Native, which is basically a wrapper around native script, which 
it's sort of an interface that that makes the mobile platform look like the DOM mm. to whatever's using it. And there's a Vue version of this, and there's a Svelte version of this, and there's like a vanilla version of this. I haven't used it personally, but as far as I can tell, the results are, are, are pretty great. There's um, some other attempts in this space as well that are going on. There's, there's one that I learned about recently that isn't yet public that is... Mm. I think it's built on top of Node GUI or, or something like that. And there's um, there's a few of these things. So it is possible. There's also things out there that will allow you to use... You can give them your progressive web app, your PWA, mm -hmm. and it will bundle that as a native app and give mm. you access to device APIs. Again, haven't used them, can't vouch for them, but that, at least on the surface, would seem to solve the problem of deploying to mobile devices without having to hire... Kotlin and Swift developers. Mm -hmm. And then finally, there's uh, like the question of whether Svelte is going to be able to do this stuff natively at some point in the future. And there is, there is a little bit of a misconception that Svelte is, is web only. Mm. Like obviously, web is our, is our priority. Like we are built on top of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Svelte component is a superset of HTML. Mm. But the compiler, when you're converting a component to JavaScript... It can go one of two ways. It can output code that targets the DOM, or it can output code that targets server-side rendering, which will take some data and just turn that into HTML. And those are very different. Like the, the compiler is doing a very different job in each of those cases. What we haven't done is make that process pluggable and expose it via an API. But we could. We could make it such that you could build your own outputter for the compiler. And it's something that we've talked about from time to time. It's, it's never risen to the level of like a priority of something that we actively want to pursue, mm -hmm. but we could. And then you would have an ability to build command line interfaces with Svelte and like other stuff like that, which you can do with React. It opens up the, the mediums and the platform. It opens it up in ways that are like very interesting, you know, yeah. when you have that level of pipeability uh, between your outputs. But it's interesting. It's possible that... Svelte will have more native support for native one day. For now, you can do it. There may be caveats. Again, I'm not all that experienced, so I can't speak to them. But if like, you want a battle-tested solution for building, for building native apps, then React Native is, is probably the best thing for right now. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, and I'm glad to hear you say that. And I'm really curious to maybe see if in like a year you would like what your answer is, because I, I know like the exponential compound interest nature of JavaScript ecosystem. And someone could have the solution like ready for this, like tomorrow. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to, to see how that pans up. But no, but thank you for weighing in on that. So I know Amelia and I were really excited to like hear about Svelte's community. I mean, we can't kind of like end this show without talking about like community. It's like the currency of open source, it's the currency of everything that we do. I know there's an incredible kind of very active Svelte community. And, and, and like you said earlier, there are the people who have chosen to get into Svelte, not because of work, but because they're, you know, hobbyists or people who really appreciate the API. So can you just maybe tell us a little about the Svelte community and like, where do y'all convene? You guys had your first conference recently, like... So it has a wonderful community. Our Discord has, I just opened the invite page to check these numbers. We have 35,000 people in our Discord, 4,000 of whom are online right now, which is like quite a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So Discord is, is where people in the community gather to ask each other questions and share things that are working on and, and like mm -hmm. advertise jobs and so on. And svelte.dev slash chat is how you find it. And yeah, there was a conference recently, which so... The Svelte, there's like the core team, the main maintainers and, and people who work on that. And then there's also this kind of a sister organization called Svelte Society. Mm. And that is, it's run by a few people, but the, the two people that I'm, I'm, I'm going to call out right now are Swix, who... Sean. Sean Wang, everyone knows him as Swix. Yeah. Was sort of the, the initial impetus behind, behind this because uh, there was going to be a London meetup and he was like... Like New York cannot not have the first meetup when it's the city where Svelte was born. And so like he very quickly organized a meetup on the same day. So we had like the simultaneous London, New York meetup. This was back in 2019, right before the pandemic. That feels very classic Sean. Like he is like the most <laughs> yes. like driven and like hyper competitive in the best possible way. Like person, I yep. like he's just incredible. Very, very like. He's an absolute machine. Hashtag goals. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. He's a remarkable guy. Sure. And so that was the birth of, of Svelte Society. There's also uh, Svelte School, which is something set up by Kevin, 
who is also the host of the Svelte Radio podcast. And he made the first conferences happen. So back in, I think it was April 2020, we had the first virtual conference and then we've had two more since then. And then last weekend, two weekends ago, we had the fourth virtual conference, but for the first time, we also had an in-person component to it here in Brooklyn. And that was wonderful. Like We had a, a bunch of people come to, um, come to an event space in Brooklyn, just down the road from where the old Brooklyn JS meetups used to happen before the, yeah. the pandemic shut the bar down. Oh, wait, was it in the exact same space as the Brooklyn JS? No, no, no. So there's, Okay, because that was a pretty cool space. Yeah, so 61 Local is at 61 Bergen Street. Okay. We were in a place called the Invisible Dog at 51 Bergen Street. Oh. So just down the road. Yeah, I mean, it's just down the road in like Hipsterville. I mean, it's like the coolest city in New York, really. I mean, the coolest city in the, in, in the country, I think. Brooklyn, let's be honest. I mean, you can't get any cooler than that. So that's awesome. I mean, the event was pretty cool, I thought. <laughs> I bet. We had a wonderful turnout. Yeah. People got together. There was a, a real feeling of sort of like, yes, we can actually start having tech meetups in person again. And there was a really nice vibe. Uh, people were kind of milling about, playing board games and just, just chatting and catching up. And then we all went and played shuffleboard afterwards. Uh, it was good. And Guillermo and some of the, the cell crew flew in to join the, the meetup. Gave a little impromptu talk to the assembled people that was also broadcast live on the internet. It felt like a really nice moment because, as I say, it sort of coincides with Svelte's fifth birthday. And it was a really nice time to sort of take stock and think about like everything that the community has achieved and like where it's going in future. That sounds amazing. And there's also like a new, newer group, a newer community group called Svelte Sirens, I think, that's like geared towards folks who are... Ah, yes, 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 yes. I wanted to talk about Svelte Sirens. Yeah, women and non-binary, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it was just, it's just great. You know, I'm so glad to see that there's spaces for folks that are underrepresented, you know? <laughs> that's awesome. Like on the core team, we've, you know, we've done a little bit of hand-wringing about the fact that open source in general is a pretty homogenous scene and particularly like early adopter open source tends to be even more homogenous and like we've definitely felt that but like the core team is also along certain dimensions pretty homogenous and there's like limited things that we can do to fix that so it really does need to kind of come organically from the community and the fact that Svelte Sirens has arisen from the community and um, it's been spearheaded by by Brittany Postma, who was incredible at the summit two weeks ago. Wonderful person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got to meet her for the first time. Absolutely brilliant person who set this up with some other women and non-binary people from the community. And it makes me, it makes my heart sing that that's happened. So we've covered community. We've covered hot takes. I'm eager to hear like, what's next, Rich? Like, what's like cutting edge, next gen, next, next mm -hmm. for Svelte? Like... So next is SvelteKit 1.0. That's like, everything is geared towards SvelteKit 1.0 right now. That's the big priority. And then I shared some of the wishlist items for Svelte 4. In between that, there's uh, a few little kind of side projects that I'm into. I, I released a library called Svelte Cubed recently, which is a Svelte wrapper around 3JS. It allows you to build interactive 3D scenes with 3JS, but like as a declarative component scene. Wow. Are you making WebGL easy for web developers? Because, you know, there's such a big barrier to entry with that stuff. Like, it sucks. <laughs> like That is the hope. I mean, so we're, we're wrapping 3JS, right? And 3JS already does a lot of heavy lifting. Like, if you've ever written raw WebGL code, it is unpleasant. It is really, <laughs> really difficult to get your head around. Mm. I've spent a little bit of time in that world, not enough to develop any real expertise, but enough to get an appreciation for how much work libraries like 3JS are doing on your behalf. And so like 3 has done 95% of the work and then Svelte Cubed aims to do like the last 5% mm. because working with 3 is kind of like working with the DOM. And like you can do it, you can build applications just writing against the vanilla DOM APIs, but eventually you're going to run into some maintainability problems if, if you write code that way, in my experience, because of things like the fact that you're creating something that is essentially hierarchical, but you're not expressing it as a hierarchy. You're expressing it as like linear imperative code. Hmm. At the same time, state management becomes very difficult when you're building things imperatively. If you have a component framework that lets you use the same idioms that you use elsewhere in your app to build WebGL stuff, then it does get a hell of a lot easier to manage. But you also get things like lifecycle management, which means that you get hot module reloading inside your, your 3JS 
classes, for example, which you will not get with three by itself. So it's not just making it slightly more idiomatic and slightly easier to use. It's actually improving the experience of building stuff in some fairly tangible but non-obvious ways as well. So I'm kind of excited about that. It's something that came out of a New York Times project over the summer. And now that it's open sourced, it's starting to get some contributions from people who, who actually know what they're doing. Um, <laughs> so I'm excited to see how that shapes out. I was going to ask, as someone who's used React 3.5, were there like implementation differences or API differences for using it? Or is it pretty much similar? So they're similar in the sense that they give you a declarative interface over 3.js. But in terms of implementation, they are wildly different. And here's where I've got to be careful, right? Because Paul, who wrote React Free Fiber, will disagree with me on a lot of this. And I have to kind of channel his response as I'm saying this. But React Free Fiber is not a component library. It is a renderer. And so it, it implements basically, you know, what React DOM gives you, it gives you that, but for 3.js, essentially. And because of that, the implementation of React Free Fiber is, is very complex. Like if you actually look at the code, it is doing an awful lot of very clever stuff to make that possible. And there are some, some sort of theoretical advantages to thinking about implementing something as a renderer as opposed to a component library. You're basically building your three graph directly as opposed to creating components that create the graph for you. In theory, that gives you some measure of defense against breaking changes between 3.js versions and so on but you have to weigh that against the, the implementation itself. From the user's perspective, I think the biggest difference is that you are typically just using 3.js classes inside your app. And you can do that in Svelte because you're not re-rendering your app every frame. In a React app, you can't re-render things frequently. And so because of that, you have this sort of intermediate layer which creates the classes and then updates them Later, you can't do new three dot box geometry inside your component. I mean, you could, but it would be recreating that on every every update, and that's going to be terrible for performance. In Svelte, you just don't have that problem. So, for my money, the way that you use Svelte Cubed is a little bit more idiomatic than the way that you use React Three Fiber. But someone who has used React Three Fiber and is familiar with it, I would love to get your take on how it feels different and which things are nicer and which things are not as nice. I'm so excited to dig in. Yeah. I want Amelia's thoughts on all the things, <laughs> especially when it comes to like anything visual. I feel like, yeah, you have like a really great instinct for like, I think API interfaces, like understanding how to re represent information really well. Like Rich and Amelia, if, if y'all haven't collaborated yet, like you should for sure. But anyways, so just to kind of like wrap up this discussion, like I, I just kind of want to hear like maybe just really quickly, briefly, like your thoughts on HTML, because we haven't really touched on it in this show, but, you know, it does feel like we're making this full cycle on the web where we're back to kind of just rendering HTML, right? Astro kind of like boldly pushed the needle with like HTML by only by default, you know, JavaScript like makes it difficult for you to almost use JavaScript in a good way, right? Same thing for SvelteKit having that option, right? For like just outputting HTML. It's like, is the future HTML? Like, are we back to the web of the 90s? And, you know, and I kind of will say like, we had a wonderful guest on our show last week, um, Selma Alam-Naylor. She's a wonderful um, developer advocate who actually just recently accepted a job at uh, Net Netlify. So congratulations to her. But Selma had this like wonderful analogy of like, we drank too much JavaScript and we're, we have like a hangover. And now we've learned like, we shouldn't be drinking so much JavaScript. Like we should take it easy. And so it feels like we're coming full circle. So I'm just curious, like if you have thoughts on that. Since you're clearly part of, I think, that movement in many ways. I have a lot of thoughts on that. I'm pendulum swing, right? Yeah. We're definitely swinging back towards the server, but we're doing it in a, in a different way. Actually, I don't really like the pendulum swinging metaphor because it, it kind of implies that overall there's this stasis and that you're uh -huh. just going from one thing with trade-offs to another thing with trade-offs. But actually, mm. maybe coming full circle is a better way to think about it because mm. you pick things up on each revolution and you get smarter and you make progress. Right. I gave a whole big talk on this recently called transitional apps, because I feel like we've kind of gotten into this linguistic trap where we think about multi-page apps or MPAs and single-page apps, SPAs, as being these completely different approaches to building the web. Whereas actually, all of the 
the application frameworks today that people are using are converging on something that is a little bit more nuanced, which is you know something that's in between the multi-page app and the single-page app worlds. We are generating HTML, but in many cases, when you navigate within an application, once it's once you're in the application and you click a link and go somewhere else, very often that navigation is going to happen client-side in a way that is instantaneous and offline friendly and all of these other things. And so, yes, we are moving back to being more considerate about search engine optimization and progressive enhancement and all of those things. Not necessarily because like developers care more than they used to, but because the tooling just presents that as a default and you, mm. you have to actively opt out of, of doing the right thing with these modern frameworks. But we are also taking the sort of the promise of the single page app paradigm and preserving that. So this isn't a retrograde step. We're not going back to the 90s way of, of building apps. And <laughs> we're also not going back to servers. We're going, all of our backend re- rendering logic is, is moving edge. either to, like there's obviously a lot of interesting serverless, but also to the edge. Cloudflare workers and the cell edge functions and Netlify has mm-hmm. edge handlers, I think it's still in, in beta. Like this is where things are moving. And you can't use that for everything yet, but you can use it for an awful lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that is changing the trade-offs that have informed the decisions that people have taken up till now. Yeah. Well, I couldn't think of a better way to end the show. Seriously. That's like, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your contributions to the web. Thank you for like never being satisfied with the status quo. Like, thank you for questioning. Thank you for saying we can do this better. Actually really rich. Um, you've done a lot for the web and I think we're very lucky to have, I think thinkers like you, who are able to, I think, elevate the conversation and also be comfortable with maybe not being the popular kid right away, right? I think it's hard to disagree with a bunch of really smart people who've settled on some ideas and say like, actually, like, no, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, So so thank you. And I'm eager to um, learn more about Svelte. This next year, it's on my list of things that I am willing to uh, take my increasingly limited time to learn new things, you know? So I'm very picky about what I learn and Svelte is on there. So that's a big deal. It's a very big endorsement, Rich, you know? So. Well, thank you so much. That all really means a lot. <laughs> yeah. And Amelia, thank you so much also for being my co-pilot, you know, um, for your wonderful insights as always. Um, so that's it for this week, kids. We're really, um, hope everybody has a wonderful holiday season. Um, we've got some really fun shows to wrap up the year and more stuff even planned for next year. So we hope to catch you uh, in the ether somewhere, sometime, someplace. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. That is our show. Thanks for listening. If this is your first time, subscribe now at jsparty.fm or just search for JS Party in your favorite podcast app. We're in there. And if you're enjoying the pod, do us a solid by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Social proof is often the nudge people need to give us a listen. I tell you what, if your review mentions Nick Nisi, TypeScript, or Vim, I'll read it on the show. JS Party is produced by me, Jared Santo, with music provided by the Beat Freak, Breakmaster Cylinder. We are brought to you by awesome partners. Thanks again to Fastly, Linode, and LaunchDarkly. Next up on the pod, we played Front End Feud at React Advanced, and it was a ton of fun. We'll have it all polished up and ready for your ear holes next week. the short answer is you'll shit faster <laughs> and i thought you said the word you'll shit faster and i was like wait no that's weird <laughs> that may also happen but it's, <laughs> it's like, um, we're not going to include that in we'll, our marketing well, yeah we'll yeah we'll edit this out <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> so you want to start uh, over you'll we'll ship faster <laughs> <laughs> um okay so the the short answer is you'll ship faster yeah.